When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we are going to talk with Birmingham Stallions linebacker Scooby Wright about why he decided to join the United States Football League, what it's like for him to be one of the best defenders ever to come out of college football to say nothing of the Pac-12 and the one award he wanted to win that he did not win, and what it means to be the leader of a defense that is 3-0 and and the last undefeated team in the USFL. Also, we're going to get into my USFL inaugural all-name team and the stories behind those names. Very excited about that. And of course, we will go through, one through eight, the week four power rankings in the USFL, a little moving and shaking, as you might understand with New Orleans and Birmingham having played on Saturday. Okay, let's go talk to Scooby. I'm pleased to be joined by Birmingham Stallions linebacker, Scooby Wright. Scooby, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm good, brother. First, congratulations on being the first and only undefeated team left in United States Football League. How does that feel? It feels good. You got to keep it rolling and keep getting more and get a Canton and win, go win the chip. That's the goal. So just keep stacking them. Right on, man. So you won that game against the Breakers, and we'll talk a bit about that. But you showed up for a live hit with a wine shirt, the mullet, the Oakleys, right? Like it's yeah. a whole look and a whole mood with you, man. Where does the attitude come from? Man, that, I've had that shirt since like 2014, to be honest. So that's just my everyday fit. And those, and those are my everyday workout glasses that I wear. So that's just, I was riding my scooter downtown Birmingham, and that's what I wear. That's what I was wearing. So, yeah, I can pull it up to the stadium on my scooter. The man is riding a scooter to the games. I, I Look, <laughs> one of the things that I really enjoy about college football and really mm-hmm. – this look that we are in the 21st century where we get to see what players are wearing, like the fit is as much a part of the story as anything else. Do you ever rethink what your fit needs to be going into a game? Like my uniform or like my like my No, like clothes? what you're walking into the stadium wearing. I mean, it was kind of funny. In the NFL, like my rookie year, my like going into my second year, I really didn't care. And then I remember one time Frosty Rucker, one of the OGs, one of my good friends, he goes, Scoop, he goes, he goes, show your sh- Excuse my language, but that was that was one of the things he uh, did, and I kind of took it took it to the next step and pay a little more attention to it now because it is, it is uh, look good, play good, feel good. So, yeah, that that's uh, that's real. It matters, right? It matters, yeah. and, and right now, you know, uh, sleeves are optional. You got the hat on mm-hmm. backward. You are a meathead. I'm a meathead. We saw the gallon jug. Oh, looky there, 
the man is on brand. He's on brand. Yeah. I love this. You gotta get the. You know what a shark dog is? Yes, I love That's this. A, a shark dog. Oh man, That's come on! I had it tatted on me. Oh, that's what's up. So, all right. I've got 22 <laughs> tattoos. I love to show my tattoos. We're coming into the summer. It's the gun season. Do you ever think perhaps I am living my best life right now and it feels really good? Oh, yeah. No, the weather is great out here in Birmingham and I love it. It's uh, Today was probably one of the best days it's been since I've been here and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it on my off day. I was out hanging on the pool on the 17th floor, so it's pretty cool. Right on. So... The thing that you have going on for you, I think that is important, is the bromance with Coach Holtz. Uh, Coach Holtz <laughs> has been very pro Scooby from the moment he drafted you. And you've kind of latched on to this image of being Danny Bateman in the replacements and him being Tony <laughs> McGinty and him going, get me the ball. But you did that against the Breakers. You come over the top of the offensive line and you force Kyle Slaughter to give up this ball. I mean... Could it be more storybook? Could it be more scripted than that from where you're sitting? I mean, no. Nah, I mean, it's that's honestly the replacement of one of my favorite movies, and Danny Bateman is probably one of my favorite fictional football players in the football metaverse universe, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, yeah, and no, I'm honestly just super thankful. Coach Coach Holtz gave me an opportunity to come play football game and strap it up and really give me – and Coach Chavis to really give me an opportunity to, to go out there and play consistently and really play and show my stuff and show my skills. So I'm very thankful for that. Hey, man, Clifford Franklin, only one going up. Clifford Franklin, only one coming down. With Just, you know, I'm more of a Wilkinson's fan because I do love the idea of somebody being let out of prison to go play professional oh, yeah. football. Like, that's, that's oh, yeah. where I'm at. Outside of Bateman, who's your guy? Fictional-wise? Yeah. I don't know. Well, my dog is named Riggins. So okay. After, All right. after Tim Riggins, so. So, producer Anna, Pat, Anna, she yeah, has Anna just, Wayne, number 33. Oh, so, oh, see, there it is, right there. Yeah, so, so probably, Kat, yeah. she just put you to the top of her list of her favorite USFO players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Smash Williams kind of dude. I'm a Vince Howard kind of dude. She's all here for Tim Riggins, and I really enjoy oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Right on. Um, all right, so you mentioned Coach Chavis, and we got to see United by football, just how much you guys mean to each other. He really enjoys coaching you, but – I think the top line thought, like if I'm writing a headline for this story, it is that, no, we have the, we have a Broyles Award winner, right, for the best assistant coach in college football, and we have a Bednarik Nagurski Buckus Award winner in Scooby Wright. Right, what's up? I actually didn't win the Buckus. You didn't win? I'm going to write them a letter. Mm -hmm. What? 164 tackles, 31 tackles for loss? Mm -hmm. Beginning of the year, I wrote down I had two goals: to be Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year and to and to be the Butt Kiss Award winner. And I didn't, I didn't even know about the other awards. I didn't even know they were a thing. Those are just the two that I want. Those are the two that I wrote down. And then yeah, that was honestly like I'm salty about that. But Eric Kendricks did get it, and he's a hell of a football player. Grant him, props to him. He's a baller. So it is what it is. I mean, credit to you for being gracious about it, and you know, admitting one, I made a mistake. Two that you wanted to win it. But three, <laughs> man, the hell with that. Like, I watched that I watched that year. All right. I don't want to get too far ahead because I want to get to this question, though, of okay. do you ever think about you are one of the great college football linebackers at a time when Coach Chavis is one of the great defensive coordinators in college football. You got Bill Johnson coaching your defensive line, right? You've got dudes with Super Bowls and national championship rings around right. you. 
was there a part of this is going, oh, no, we're we're going to demolish people. We're going to be this good. Yeah, I mean, we have some great guys on our defense and some great coaching. I mean, we talk, we communicate. I mean, I think it just all trickles down from the top. I mean, good coaching leads to good playing and good playing leads to wins. I mean, when you have guys like like D Gates out there balling, being a ball hawk, filling up the fill up the score box in production and our defensive backs and our offense scoring. I mean, when we're firing on all cylinders, we talk, we communicate and fly around. I mean, we're hard to beat. So, I mean, to be honest, they wouldn't even score last game if I didn't miss a pick in the end zone. That went right, that went right through my hands. And to be honest, that, I'm going to think about that play. I'm going to think about that TFL that I missed. As big as a game I had, like, I'm the type of person where I think about those two plays because those are the plays that I need to make to get to where I want to be because those are the splash plays that you need to make. 17 tackles is pretty splashy to me, Doc. Just going to, you know, point that out right quick. You know, you were running around tackling everything that moved between you and DeMarcus Gates. I mean, that's two of the best linebackers in this league and y'all on the same team. I -hmm. wanted to ask, though, we call you Scooby. That's what's on the roster. Your given name is Phillip. I think I've heard this story, but please tell it to the audience. How did you get the nickname Scooby? And what did it feel like for your high school friends to be like, who the hell is Phillip? (laughs) Yeah, so I, uh, growing up, they used to call my grandpa Big Phil and my mm-hmm. dad Little Phil. But my grandpa, he's like, I don't know, 5'7", like 150 pounds, 160 pounds soaking wet. My dad's like 6'1", 6'2", like played fullback, played guard at Long Beach State back in the day. So he's a he's big, big billboard back type of guy. So when he was growing up, they used to call my dad Little Phil. And then when my dad started growing up and stuff, people would call the house, like, hey, can we talk to Big Phil? And then there's like, uh, who's Big Phil? Who's Little Phil? So when I was a baby, my dad was like, screw it. I ain't dealing with that. Your name's Scooby. It was Scoob. And then my sisters just started calling me that. And then before I could even remember, it was Scoob, Scooby. And then, yeah, high school graduation, they said, uh, Philip Anthony Wright III, walk up. Started walking up. And everybody's like, what? Yeah, like my college degree from U of A says Scooby Wright on it. All my firefighter certificates say Scooby Wright on it. So, yeah, it's pretty... It's my name, but it's on my driver's license. It says Philip, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, you kind of brought up a point there about your CV that I think is important. Firefighter yeah. and dabbling in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Is that is that understood? Yeah, and a little more, and I, uh, a little Muay Thai too. Okay, yeah. so I'm telling myself here for a little bit. Okay, I won a national powerlifting championship in high school, right? Okay. Go to learn to fight, learn to be an octagon, oh, yeah. pick a couple fights. I'm much better on my feet than I am on the ground. So I'm going to ask you, which is more difficult, right? Learning to be a firefighter, getting somebody out of their guard, right, in jujitsu, or meet somebody in the hole? 100% running into a fire because when there's people dying and Stuff could get fast, quick, and there's a lot of – I mean, I remember one time we were drilling in my academy, and there was a door that was locked, and we were doing a live burn inside a Connex box, and the door was stuck for a minute. And I remember I was sitting there like, yo, are we going to be good? I looked over to the little five-foot-three girl named – like, homie named Jamie, and uh, and she's like, yeah, we'll be okay. And I was like – I was like – yeah, I got a little – I became – my man attributes went up that day if you catch my drift. But – uh yeah, I mean, stuff like that. And that's scary. Running into a thing, like running into a house on fire, that's scary. I mean, going into a fight, somebody knocked down, going to get ready to go to a Muay Thai fight. I mean, that's, or a jiu-jitsu match. I mean, that's, 
you have to be mentally right. You can go out there and get embarrassed. Mm-hmm. In football, I mean, there's a hundred and some plays a game. If you miss one, it is what it is, but you just got to make up for it. Hopefully it doesn't affect the game too much, but you always try your best, you know? Says the man who's still thinking about the picky drop playing linebacker against the breakers. Just, <laughs> you know, I'm going to put that out. But, like, no, seriously, dude, that's – you have had a journey basically since coming into college, right? Yeah. So I was explaining before we started the taping that I'm the type of guy who watches football. I love this league, and I love the stories right. of this league, and it's my privilege to tell them. But I'm built for this in that I will watch football from the moment that we got Big Noon on – until we got Fresno State playing BYU or whatever at 1 a.m. in the morning. So I would watch Vontez Perfect do more or less what you are doing with the mic'd up portions of the USFL, which is to talk noise. Like my favorite picture over here in the studio is Vontez Perfect pointing over of a Mm -hmm. defensive lineman, offensive lineman to Matt Barkley going, I don't even know what he's saying, but I'm going, give me that. And he went to the NFL, became an all pro going, man, Pac-12 is about to be just okay again. Nope, here comes Scoop. <laughs> Scoop showed up to go tackle everything that moved. Did you have a favorite linebacker growing up? And was it more about what their attitude was as opposed to what their play was? Yeah, so growing up, I was a huge USC football fan. Mm. I was, that's, that's, that, was, that was my dream school was there in Boise State. And uh, I remember I had the poster of Brian Cushing, Clay Matthews, and Ray Maluga hanging in my room. Yikes! That cover, that cover where they're all sitting there, all jacked up and stuff. That I had that hanging in my room when I was, whenever that came out, when I was like 10, 12 years old, till the day I graduated high school, left, went to U of A. So I mean, just kind of seeing that every day, and those are probably my three favorite linebackers, probably ever. Those three guys, just by the way they played, and it was cool because they're all different, you know. I also remember that Cushing was slept on, right from that from mm-hmm. that trio. Because we were all looking yeah. at Malaluga, and we expected him to be the dude. And then here comes Clay, who turns into that dude with Green Bay. And then it's like, I don't know about Brian, because he shows up in Houston, turns into being one of their best linebackers ever. So that trio of linebackers for Pete Carroll and whatnot, I, I remember them as well. I mean, that that just pocket of USC yeah. is ridiculous. And, and our director is a USC alumnus so i hear about it more often than i would care to be an oklahoma fan but i get you on that and that's pretty cool did nice. you did you ever watch vontez at arizona state and did you think about arizona state um no they never offered me the only offer i ever had coming out was u of a uh everybody else told me kick rocks so that was the um yeah i remember i went to I went to cal's junior camp they said they go look at uc davis in mm-hmm. sac state with no disrespect to those schools, great schools. And then I went to UW's junior day where me and my dad basically walked outside the stadium into the trash cans by Coach Sarkeesian. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, yeah, they told me, yeah, I'll never forget that. That, that was crazy. But, um, yeah, that was really – Arizona was the only school that really gave me – they literally called me out of blue and said, hey, we want off you. Okay, you know? so you're – you're there with Rich Rod and the Hard Edge, right? Made famous. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you get number two, Oregon on the schedule with Marcus Mariota at quarterback. Yep. What was that game like for you? I remember if you look back the year before, my freshman year in 2013, mm-hmm. that was a crazy because I think they were getting ready to go to the college football playoffs that year. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, if we didn't mess up their season, we're going to the playoffs. And we came out. 
then where Kadeem Carey just went off that game. And I was a freshman, and I got to pick the first play of the game on Mariota. <laughs> and I uh, should have housed it, but got tripped up by the guy the ball was thrown to. Um, not that I remember anything. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, that was that, – that Oregon game, the first year, is probably a little more crazy than – but then they came back and beat us in the Pac-12 championship pretty good. So they had our number that time. I mean, okay, like this is also – put in a time capsule, I think, for many college football fans of a certain age because Arizona's been down, like you know this, and it's, yeah. it's not a secret, yeah. but at one point or another, you could go to Kadeem Carey, you could go to Scooby Wright, you could go to uh, Khalil Tate, right? And you yeah. could keep pulling out dudes that could play. What do you think needs to happen to Arizona for them to get back to the kind of Wildcat football that you're familiar with? Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I That's a great question. I just got off doing a podcast with my boys at the Wildcat Authority, Shane and uh, Eric. But, um, yeah, we were talking about, I guess Arizona had the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12 or something like that. They had the most, quote, star recruits or whatever. And so hopefully if they can just keep building on that, they can – I mean, I think it's so hard nowadays with college football and stuff. It's, it's like it's pro football free agency. You just got to sign a one-year deal kind of so. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just recruiting the right guys and having them say it's personal. I think I saw a video of Coach Fish say something about that today, and it was pretty cool. So I think the program's headed in the right direction for sure. Well, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot with Coach Fish. Did he follow through and get you your frame jersey? Did you get that yet? Uh, plead the fifth on that. But okay. What All I, right. But, I, what I, but, but, I, but I will say, though, I got a warm, very, very warm welcome when I went there a few weeks ago. So it was great. They was they were very, uh, yeah. It was very welcoming home. Man, look. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that season you played college football is is one of the greatest ever. And I had so much fun getting to watch what portions of it I got to watch. But I need to ask: Were you in some sort of Zen moment zone, or were you there for the whole thing and present for the whole thing and understanding? No, I'm this good. I can I can do all of this. Yeah, I think it was more so. I had that epiphany my freshman year. Mm. When I came in, and I remember going to Fort Huachuca, and that was like the first week of training camp, like first week of pads. And I remember, oh my God, these guys are huge. Like these guys, like I see an offensive I mean, coming from high school, I was the biggest guy on the field. I was out there with training kicks, you know. But um, yeah, going to college and stuff and realizing that you can go hang. I mean, there's a lot more to football than X's and O's and height and weight, you know what I mean? So I feel like I kind of filled those in, and that was kind of led me and put me to the next step and just kind of that belief in yourself that you can play with anybody. And I think the biggest thing that comes with you can play with anybody is knowing that you put in the work and to capitalize an opportunity. That's where it really comes from. And and there is no one who outworked me. So, yeah. no, I, I I highly doubt that, especially with all the noise you'd be talking during the games. Like that's <laughs> that's something else entirely. Like you better be able to bring it that way. Matter of fact, at one point, I think Kyle Sloter had something said something like sixty three, calling out the protection, and then he changed it to fifty three. And I think it was you I heard saying it don't matter. Is that nah, right? No, nah, there was one time I called out their player. They tried to run a split zone, and I called out the play. I told the linebacker before the play, I was like, hey, the ball's here. He looked at me. He goes, okay. I was like, I, I literally told him. I was like, hey, I'm blitzing. <laughs> yeah, because, like, me and Gates, like, we have that. Like, we play very well together. Me and Marquise Gates, we play really good. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, we play really good together. We talk and communicate really good. And I feel like when you have that type of relationship with a guy playing next to you, you can go out there and make plays like that and go do that type of thing. So it's pretty cool that we can go out there and do that and play sound football. 
it's fun, man. I mean, I've come to call that dude the dentist because of the floss pick and whatnot. Yeah, I found it come to uh, find out he throw up the hooks too, and I'm just I'm all for it, right? He he will oh, understand. Yeah. He will understand. Uh, and you understand apparently going to hell, yeah. All right. That's what's oh, up. No. It, it, I know, but I don't know. Okay. No, <laughs> hey, and I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, I usually ask this question at the beginning, but we've been having fun and I, I want to make sure I get this in. Why did you want to play in the USFL? I mean, why not? I mean, chance to go, I mean, to your layoff and you go kind of stress out about like, end quote, get into the real world and you're not playing football and stuff and you have the opportunity to go do something that you love and you're passionate about and you kind of already have your black belt in if you catch my drift. So that's kind of where I was at. And I said, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going to go do it. Right on. Birmingham Stallions linebacker, Scooby Wright. Thank you so much for joining us here on the number one ranked show. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. My thanks to Scooby Wright for joining the show. Uh, very excited to have that dude in the league. One of my favorite players coming out of that region for sure. And really for me, when I think about Arizona football, I think about Scooby Wright. As you might, uh, might know, I put him on my all-time Pac-12 defense. And I mean, fight me is where I'm at with that. But Scooby also makes another team that I put together, which is my USFL all-name team. Now, rules to this were simple. I'm not dealing with nicknames so much, right? Although Scooby is a nickname, but it's also on the roster sheet. So if it's on the roster sheet, right, that is what we will refer to you as. This man goes by Scooby and has gone by Scooby for years. And the way that I go by RJ, though it ain't my government name, it is on every single byline that I've ever had. And it's on every book that I've ever written. And you know me, it's RJ. You don't need to know my government name because you the feds, right? you the feds if you're asking that question. Like, you don't ask that question if you're not the feds. That's all I'm saying. So let's start with a few names on my all-name team. And you can read the full list at foxsports.com or on the Fox Sports app. Again, spent a lot of time on it. And it is my favorite story that I've written so far about this league because it's not just the names. It's the stories behind the names. So at number one, obviously, is Scooby Wright. And if you listen to the show, and you have, you know where his name came from. So I won't spend a whole lot of time there except to say Scooby Snacks, Scooby Sacks. See how, you know, you need the end. And it look, headline writers everywhere love that that man plays linebacker and is a tackling machine. The next name on the list is Maurice Alexander's nickname, right? Which is Hard Time. Breaking my own rule here because this story is very cool. So Maurice Alexander shows out in Philadelphia Stars' first win. He also was a late addition to the Stars, late addition to the USFL. He signed late on day two of the USFL draft. Bart Andrus slowed down the draft, right? Basically stalled. So his wide receiver coach could just see a little bit of the guy coming out of Florida International, who was a state champion quarterback at Booker T. Washington in Miami, Florida. If you know anything at all about Florida football, you know. That's not too doggone shabby. Shows up at FIU and becomes a uh, wide receiver. Going in the USFL, they draft him based on basically six plays. And he comes with this Twitter handle and this nickname of Hard Time. So naturally, as a journalist, I'm asking the question of, 
yo, man, why do you get the nickname hard time as opposed to assuming that it's because he gives defensive backs a hard time? No. This man's mama and grandmama gave him this nickname. So when he was being born, his mother's in labor with him for the better part of eight hours. And he had to have, or she had to have an emergency C-section because his umbilical cord was around his throat strangling him. Doctors needed to rescue he and his mama. When he was born, his grandmother said, we're going to call him hard time, which is to say, yo, man, this child is going to have a hard time getting through life because somebody did not want him to be here and he defied those odds anyway. My grandmommy was born on Saturday. She was called Saturday's child. If you know that nursery rhyme poem, it denotes the same thing. You work hard on Saturday. And what do I do? I work hard on Saturday. I can empathize with a person who goes by hard time because he's had a hard time. So when you see Maurice Alexander running routes for the Philadelphia Stars, perhaps you will send one up for him too because this man has been working his behind off to play professional football. Next player on the list is what I got to tell on myself about. So we have Michael Scott. All right, so I'm at lunch in Birmingham covering the games and I'm sitting with a couple of friends and I said, I'm putting together a list of all name candidates for the USFL. So I share this list. And one of my friends looks at the list and says, there's no Michael Scott here. And I said, pray tell, why should Michael Scott be listed on this all-name team? To which my man said, RJ, have you ever seen The Office? And I'm like, yeah, I've seen like the memes. I've seen the jokes. But two Americas over here, man. Like I'm watching in Living Color. I'm watching Atlanta. I'm not really on the office train, okay? I'm over here on Dave Chappelle and his sketch comedy over there, right? Back in the day when you could still watch that sketch comedy on things like Comedy Central. Key and Peele, I'm over there, right? And they're going, hey, man, you got to put Michael Scott on this list because Steve Carell made that character into who he is. I brought this to Michael Scott, who plays for uh, the Tampa Bay Bandits, and I asked him, Yo, man, do you know about this meme and this joke that is related to your name? And he's like, do I ever? And he was giddy about it. Now, it gets even better than you might think because he's not the only Michael Scott in his family. He's actually got a baby brother who's also a Michael Scott. We'll get into a little bit more about that a bit later on as I mention some other names. But he also was kind enough to give me his favorite Michael Squat Scott quotes because he's seen the series and he's watched it at least twice that's what she said which i did not know was a michael scott quote but you know what seeing as i use that joke fine whatever he said they said it worked for whomever wants to do it number two on the list hey michael scott hey michael scott what you gonna do when your dreams come true apparently this was a song and i went to go look it up and his friends sing it back to him and he gets a really big kick out of it and then his last and favorite quote from The Office related to Michael Scott is, 
I would not miss it for the world, but if something came up, I definitely wouldn't go. Which, okay, I get it, because what I understand about this character is he's doing all the things that you're not supposed to do. It's almost as if this character looked at whatever human relations said the guide was to being an excellent boss and decided to violate all of them. My favorite joke that I saw that I didn't know came from the office itself, but I knew came from him, was the whole quote that is attributed to Wayne Gretzky that he attributed to himself. Again, it is a glaring hole in my pop culture game. And seeing as I pride myself on my pop culture game, I should probably go do the watching and the viewing. But I've seen enough to see that they play basketball and my man, Michael Scott, selects the black dude first because obviously, and that all goes downhill because, well, of course it does, right? I'm here for this. I can understand. I just got to do the work myself. Okay. Next on the list is Mazzy Wilkins. So this was interesting in that I saw the name and I'm thinking, okay, I think I know what that means. But does he know what that means or does, is he going to tell me that it means something different? So I asked Mazzy, who named you? Which is the name that I, or which is not a name, which is a thing that I've asked many of the players that are on this list. Is it my daddy named me? And I said, what does your name mean? He says, it means sir. And I said, okay, so that's Igbo, right? Southern Nigerian in dialect and language. And he told me he didn't know, but he was going to track it down because I was like, yo, man, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to say that it's that if I don't know it's that. And I'm not going to have your daddy coming to get me because I wrote the wrong thing on foxsports.com. Just not going to go out like that. So he did me the favor of going to find out, yeah, it is Igbo. And it does mean sir, which is kind of interesting, right? Because it gets back to this discourse that comes back to post-antebellum in the Civil War in that Black folks who had gained their freedom went about renaming themselves in many instances. It's one of the reasons that you might see a freeman walking around, right? Or you might see a player or a man named like Captain Merlin, right? Playing the NFL. You might see a, they call me sir, right? You might see a major because the idea, you'll see a prince, a king, a queen. The idea here being that respect is going to be built into your government name so that nobody gets to talk down to you. To further outline this, you'll know that James H. Meredith was the first black man to go to the University of Mississippi. But what many folks don't know is that his daddy, Cap, named him J.H. Meredith. The idea being here that you give this man the initials, nobody gets to talk down to him by calling him by his first name. Back at a time when you didn't do that in polite company, you call somebody Mr. whatever their last name was, right? And to more or less talk down to these men, they would call them by their first names. Here in Tulsa, we had John Baptist uh, Stratford, who was J.B. Stratford. You called him Mr. Stratford. So you would start building in these ways in which your children would not be talked down to. So you name them J.H., which is to say that James H. Meredith need to pick James out so that they could put it on his enrollment form to go to the University of uh, Mississippi because J.H. wasn't going to cut it. I kind of love that as a story. All right. So in there kind of falls in line, Mazzy Wilkins, with Micah Abernathy. Some of you will know the last name Abernathy because, it, yeah, his granddaddy is Reverend Ralph Abernathy. Civil rights, that's a titan. 
Reverend Abernathy helped raise Dr. King to be a senior pastor. He's born in Linden, Alabama, right? Walked hand in hand, right hand man with Dr. King as they are doing the doggone thing in the 1960s. That's his granddaddy, okay? His brother's name is Ralph Abernathy IV, okay? His daddy's name is Ralph Abernathy III. They're all coming from Reverend Abernathy, who had named his uh, late child Ralph Abernathy, Abernathy II, since Ralph Abernathy uh, III and so forth so on. But it is not uncommon in some families for boys to share the name of their father, no matter how many boys there are. I believe George Foreman's got like seven George Foremans in his family, right, that are all boys. But I thought this was interesting to point out, one, because of the tie to Birmingham and understanding what Birmingham means in the struggle for civil rights, but also because not everybody understands that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not born Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., okay? He was born Michael King because his daddy's name was Michael King. And for the first about five years of his life, he went around as little Mike, being his daddy was Big Mike. Big Mike took a trip to Europe, around the world, learned about Martin Luther, came back, told the Atlanta Daily World, I'm changing my name. My name is no longer Mike. It is Martin Luther King, and my son's name is now Martin Luther King Jr. One of my favorite stories, because you got a child that had been going by Mike or little Mike, who all of a sudden is Martin, okay? It's also cool because he didn't really take to it until he was much older. And you got to understand about Dr. King, he's a singular figure, which you'll know. But the man graduated high school at 15, graduated Morehouse at 19, got his PhD at 26, and then did what he did before he turned 40. I like, keep it 100 when you talk about Dr. King. But I also found it interesting that, you know what, if your daddy want to change your name, he can change your name, but that's who you're going to be. Shout out again to my grandmommy, who was contemporaries with Dr. King, and just would simply call him Martin when she referred talking to him. And I'd be like, grandmommy, don't nobody else do that. She's like, well, I knew him, you know, just like I knew Andy, <laughs> Andrew Young. Come on, man. My grandmommy, a uh, jewel of my family. But in learning these stories about these dudes, just these five. I feel that I've gotten better about understanding this league and just what kind of players play in it. And that behind every name, even the nicknames, there is probably a really doggone important and good story. So please go check out the story that I wrote. It's about 2,100 words about these players and their names. Woody Brandom's in there. He's named after a Cheers character. He also is like a resemblance to Rob Gronkowski. And on it goes. Like, I got so many good stories out of these guys, and they were all gracious in telling me. Like, the one about Pro Wells, go check that out. That's remarkable. And he didn't even make it into the show. Okay. Now, we need to talk about our power rankings. We had some moving and shaking in the power rankings because, well, week three was a moving and shaking kind of week. Number one, Birmingham Stallions. It's easy. They're the only 3-0 team left. They're 2-0 in the strongest of the two divisions. They got a 22-10 victory against the New Orleans Breakers after being down 13-10 in the second half, okay? Mostly on the strength of DeMarcus, I don't get tired, the dentist Gates, right? 
getting 10 tackles and that pick to seal it. And then your man Scooby Wright running around with 17 of his own. Four players on defense had 10 tackles or more. Remarkable showing by them, especially as the offense continues to be the kind that just doesn't seem to be about it until the second half. I know they want to be about it in the first half, but it ain't the way it's been going. And the defense has been there to really hold them up and keep up their end. And Birmingham looks like it's going to make the playoffs, but we still got a lot of season left to go. 10 weeks in the season. We're only into week four this week. Okay. Number two, the New Orleans Breakers. I understand they took an L, but they took an L to the best team in the league. And they look like they might have an opportunity to win it. As a matter of fact, you got to remember, right? Their scoring drive to go ahead, nearly nine minutes off the clock, 17 plays. Kyle Slaughter looks like that dude. Johnny Dixon is an after-the-catch monster. Jay Adams is a monster in his own right. And they're getting great production out of guys like Jordan Ellis. They did this all without TJ Logan this week as well. The defense had been great. Davin Bellamy had been great. We've seen great things from Vontae Diggs, but the difference was an off and, and offensive line. Come on, RJ, use your articles. An offensive line that had not given up a sack all season gave up four against the Birmingham Stallions, including Scooby Wright coming over the top to force Kyle Slaughter to fumble the football, turnover on downs at the goal line. That could have been the difference in the game because remember in the USFL, a nine-point margin is a one-score game. They would have been in it. I think they're still going to be pretty good, and they are still got that second playoff spot in the South Division. Number three on the list, the New Jersey Generals. Okay? So the Generals continue to employ a two-quarterback system, and it continues to work. They rushed for 269 yards against the Philadelphia Stars in their 24-16 win. DeAndre Johnson, 130 yards, 94 on the ground, outstanding by him. Chris Dishman's defense gave up just 230 yards passing to the best passing team in the league. Mike Riley seems to be figuring out how to use both Luis Perez and DeAndre Johnson, even as it feels like you're telegraphing to the defense what you're going to do. It hasn't mattered because one of the things that Mike Riley said to begin the season was, I'd be shocked if we don't run the ball well, and they have been running the ball very well with Darius Victor and Trey Williams. And remember, this is a team that had drafted Mike Weber and still might end up with Mike Weber at some point in the season. Number four on this list, the Tampa Bay Bandits bounce back in a big way to get a W. Okay, so Todd Haley told his team before the game started that he's missing his daughter's graduation to coach them against the Houston Gamblers. Please go get a win. Well, it didn't look like it was settling in as they went into the locker room down 24-13 at half. But they stormed back. Jordan Tamu passes for 255 yards. I think he's got 284 total to win 26-24 in the game that Kevin Sumlin had to know that they were going to win. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but it's about finishing for them. Tampa, though, moves to 2-1, 1-1 and one, one and one in South Division, and they got a, a fighter's chance, right, of getting into that playoff spot. Number five on the list, the Philadelphia Stars. 1-2, one and 1-1. One and one. They were in a battle for the top of the North Division with New Jersey. They lost this game, but they also had lost Brian Scott in the process, all right? So he suffered an injury that took him out of the game. X-rays were negative. They hoped to get him back on a short week of rest when they play the Michigan Panthers on Friday night. But Case Cookis looked like he knew exactly what to do and was running the offense really well. This is a man that had over 100 uh, passing touchdowns at Northern Arizona and had demonstrated just how familiar he was with the offense the week prior as he's talking to Brock Heward, basically quarterback to quarterback, 
exchanging what they're looking at, exchanging what's supposed to go on here and what Brian was seeing from the defense and where they wanted to go with the football. I thought the defense for Philadelphia is the problem. Defensive coordinator Brad Miller is going to have some things to work out, specifically in the rushing defense. Again, they gave up 269 yards to the best rushing team in the league, but Jordan Moore acquitted himself well. He had 10 tackles, including a sack. He was flying around playing great football at that outside linebacker position. Number six on the list, the Michigan Panthers, who get off the schneid, right? They get a win against the Pittsburgh Maulers, and not just any win, to move to one and two and one and one in the division. They throw the first shutout in the inaugural USFL season. Remarkable display by a team that has an identity now. They started Paxton Lynch because that was the plan. In their first two drives with Paxton Lynch behind center, they go score, okay? Jeff Fisher was maligned earlier this season for saying we're going to use Paxton the way that the Buffalo Bills had kind of used Josh Allen. And then you saw what he meant when they played against the Maulers, okay? The man was taking off on QB draws, and he was getting 20-yard gashes, helped them punching it into the end zone. They lose him a little bit later on in the game to injury. Shea Patterson comes in. It's nice to be able to pick on the number one overall pick to go finish the game for you. And they're able to secure that 24 to nothing win against the Maulers. They also know who they are now. Their team is going to run the ball and play defense. Okay, Reggie Corbin had 20 rushes for 130 yards and a TD. You got great tailbacks in Cam Scarlett and Stevie Scott to start the season. To say nothing of what you have in trees on the outside like LaMichael Pedway and Marcus Bob comes out of Ohio State. They've got a former Navy midshipman at safety in Sean Williams and a former captain on that Navy defense, captain of that Navy program, quite honestly. You're going to be in good shape if you're Jeff Fisher, but it's nice to get a win so that you can still be in contention to fight for one of those playoff spots in the North Division. Number seven on the list, Houston Gamblers. Okay, after starting what I thought was pretty decent to open the season, they're now 0-2 in their division. And coming off of what I thought was the best performance that they had seen by the offense all year, right? You got 240 40 yards passing out of Clayton Thorson, a dude that I said needed to figure out and did. And you got 147 yards rushing by the league's leading rusher in Mark Thompson. Feed that man the rock. It's about finishing games for them. Because in both instances the last two weeks, they had opportunities to win games and they just went through their fingers. I know that Kevin Sumlin's got to be frustrated about this, but he can take something from, hey, man, Reggie Northrup's playing his behind off. Donald Payne is playing his behind off. Manny Bunch is playing his behind off. Mark Thompson's rushing the ball well. Clayton Thoris is pick, figuring it out. You got dudes. It's about putting it all together for one complete game of football. But I think they're going to try to do that later this week. And obviously, they're going to be a team to watch along with Tampa because that, that South Division is just loaded. And then at number eight, Pittsburgh Maulers, the only un, not un, the only winless team in the USFL left. Really, really, really just mad about this because it feels like the Maulers have been in most games, like at least two of the three that they played, and they had opportunities to go get stuff done. They had some really great plays. So Carlo Kemp has a punt block against the Michigan Panthers. They can't turn that into points. You're forced to pull Josh Love for Kyle Lauletta after it felt like Josh Love was going to be your starter from here on out. You're getting great play out of guys like Bailey Gaither at wide receiver. Madre London is a dude that's coming on as a tailback, a guy they signed late. 
Garrett Groshek is doing the work of being your battering ram up front. And your defense has been playing pretty doggone good. I've really been inspired by what Trey Tarpley has been able to do and Kayaiva Tazino and what he's been able to do. But, like, you want to get a win if you're Pittsburgh. And I know that Kirby's got to be frustrated by all of this, especially this being his first opportunity to be a head coach ever, let alone in a professional setting. But they average four yards, 4.7 yards per carry. They rush for over 100 yards. They're good things to take away from this. But again, winning cures a lot. And they got to figure it out in a hurry as they're going to face the North Division's best team in New Jersey later this week. But I dare say the Maulers are going to be a team that nobody wants to play come late May. All right. That is our show today. Uh, my thanks to Scooby Wright for joining the show. Producer Cat just handling it just 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 handling it right john marcus our director uh tyler wojack our associate producer rachel Cohn, our lead of screening javion duncan our social media maven they make this show go and make my job easy that is it for me doses <laughs>